Hello and welcome to this latest CN podcast. I'm Anthony Myers. In this episode, I talk with Matthias Lang, Executive Director of the International Cocoa Initiative, about the organisation's latest report and the excellent results surrounding child labour monitoring and remediation in the cocoa industry. And also, he gives us an update on the ICI's five-year strategy. Take a listen. Executive director of the ICI, and I've been in the job for a bit less than a year. I started yeah. in December of last year, yeah. Good. But I've been with the organization for the past 10 years in various positions. So I'm relatively, still relatively new to the job, but not completely yeah. new to the issue and the organization, yeah. Okay. Let's start with the uh, the report that, that's just been released um, last last month. Um, it's it's encouraging, uh, definitely. Um, I I see in the report that you know you've uh, you've uh, mediated uh, five hundred and ninety thousand uh, cocoa growing households, which is fifty thousand more than you estimated for uh, for this year. So so things are going on on track, and there's a it's the beginning of a five-year strategy as well, isn't it, for the ICI? Could you just explain a little bit about the the, uh, the contents of the report, the achievements, and the, the the wider strategy that you have in place now? Yeah. So basically, the wider strategy has this overarching objective of covering each and every cocoa growing household with those type of human rights due diligence systems to. Uh, prevent, identify, and address child labor and forced labor for 2 million cocoa growing households, uh, primarily in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana, and to some extent also in other West Africa cocoa regions, uh, such as uh, Cameroon. Uh, having said that, we've got a number of also strategic objectives. This scale-up of like, you know, company systems is one of them, but very importantly, that goes hand-in-hand also with uh, parallel reinforcement of national policies, national programs, and national systems. I mean, the cocoa and chocolate industry and civil society are not going to solve child labor and forced labor on their own, so that needs to work hand-in-hand with parallel improvement uh, on the side of government policies and programs. And the idea for us is also very much to better coordinate and better integrate what governments are doing with what the industry is doing in a sort of coherent framework. So broadly speaking, these are the three main strategic objectives. And then that's something that we decline across various core functions around innovation, you know, developing new tools, new approaches. So for instance, to tackle this issue of forced labor in addition to child labor, uh, to put in place the so-called landscape approaches uh, that have more and more widely used when it comes to deforestation, but trying to do the same on the social development and child labor front, uh, as well as a number of learning activities. So you've seen that we are producing a number of research and learning reports. And uh, finally, two other elements, one which is really about influencing. So working with the industry, working with certifiers, working with governments in origin and consuming countries, in order to influence, again, their policies and their practices. And the last element is the more operational end of it. So that's where we are supporting member companies and member organizations in the setup and uh, rollout of uh, human rights due diligence systems. So these are the main core functions. So here the annual report is basically taking stock of where we are one Uh year into the strategy uh, and 
obviously one element is that number that you saw the 590,000 cocoa grain households covered by CLMRS or equivalent system which is more or less about 30% of the of the total and objective by the end of 2026 so that's indeed you know promising uh, I would yeah. say the, the task at hand remains daunting, but uh, the progress uh, the progress where we are at is already uh, relatively positive and uh, and promising. Obviously, much more remains to be done. You know, absolutely. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been in this job now four years, and the ICI, I know you've been going quite a, a long time, but they, they seem to be coming to the forefront of, of a lot of the, um, of tackling a lot of the issues that we see, particularly in um, in child labour, and particularly the uh, the CLMRS, that's Child Labour Monitoring and Remediation System that you have in place, does seem to be quite an effective valuable too that has been used by a lot of companies a lot of organizations hasn't it um what what what's the icei doing to promote it further is are you are you, are you still looking for interested parties to how does it work can people sign up to it uh, if, if if they are interested in this tool do they just get in touch with the icei and then you take it from there how, do, how does it so, work so that's that's a mix of things very importantly uh, there are various ways of doing CLMRS, and we are trying to adapt very much what we do in the way specific supply chains and company programs are organized. So there's not a kind of unique model that is applied across the board. Also, importantly, we are not the only one doing or supporting CLMRS. No. So you've got a number of companies and organizations that are running those kinds of programs on their own. Mm -hmm. What we do is basically that we develop a number of tools and materials that any ICI member can then use so that they can potentially put in place those systems in their programs, in their supply chain, on their own if they want to. So there's a bit of an open source element uh, to it yeah. and a number of material that are either uh, accessible on our website, on our knowledge hub, or that are accessible specifically to ICI members. Then if some specific companies want a kind of specific ICI support, yeah. then we are also in a position to bilaterally provide this additional support. Okay, thank you. And that goes to one of the questions I had, actually, you know, the cocoa sector collaborating more, sharing data more, you know, for example, on, on traceability in the supply chain. Uh, I know you have this, your systems in place, and I know you're, you're, you're obviously willing to share a lot of your um, data research, but are you finding uh, that is the case in in the sector in general that there's more I collaboration think, i think there is an increasing willingness uh mm. to collaborate i would say both within or across the industry but also very importantly between the industry and governments in origin countries so i'm sure yes i'm sure because you've written an article about it but yeah. you saw that announcement from the european cocoa association I, and Caobisco on their willingness yeah. to share company yeah. uh, specific data in order to support uh, the rollout of national traceability systems yeah that's something we are very much support, ready to support on the social side, child labor side, to make sure that the child labor data can also feed into those systems. Importantly, we are also working hand in hand uh, with governments in origin countries in making sure that what companies are doing with their CLMRS is coherent with the national child labor monitoring systems and that the data can again help build those national child labor monitoring systems. 
So that's a side which is really promising, I find, on collaboration between governments and the industry. But on the industry front, there are also more and more willingness to collaborate on a number of fronts. So, you know, the Clay and Ilan um, program, which was led by the Jacobs Foundation, is an example of companies yeah. and governments pulling resources to tackle collectively some of the issues that are better tackled together than on a kind of individual company supply chain basis. Another example is that we've just recently launched this kind of landscape approach uh, to tackle social issues. And that's something which is also very much based on the principle of, on a regional level, on a local level, companies working together and working with local authorities in order to share data, better coordinate, but also identify activities that could be done jointly. Okay. Um, no, thank you. And uh, obviously, the ICI is is part of that. Um, it's it's good to hear uh, from someone on the ground who has tr you know uh, people on the ground that, that, that it's happening because you go to these conferences and there's usually a lot of talk about sharing collaboration, but it's um, it seems does seem to be genuinely happening now, and that can only be for the for the better uh, of of the sector in general. Um, just another thing out of, out of your report, um, the, you know, the cash you, you mentioned, uh, the report mentions that, you know, cash transfers reduced child labor by 16 percent. How did you how did you come across that? Is that obviously that's cash transfers to the household to the maybe the the, the, the female in the house or something? Is that is that what that relates to? Yeah, so that's coming from a specific pilot project that we implemented in Ghana, where we yeah. distributed an amount equivalent to about $30 per cocoa growing households per month across six months. And that has indeed led uh, to a significant reduction of, of child labor. Uh, so that's very promising, especially because that's one intervention, but usually this intervention is done in conjunction with other types of intervention. So the 16% is really the net amount of the kind of additional impact that is brought by the cash transfer. You know, why is that? Uh, I mean, first, I think importantly, this is reinforcing the household resilience. Uh, so that has allowed those households to better cope with shocks. Uh, that was done during the time of COVID. Uh, we've seen in the sample data, in the panel data, a number of those households experienced either income shocks or health shocks and were better able to cope to those shocks thanks to the kind of regular distribution of cash. So importantly, they didn't have to resort to their kids to support on the family farm. And obviously, the second element to it is that it's increasing the overall household income. So we estimated that it was an extra approximately 20% more income into the hands of those households. And that's money that those households were able to invest in their kids' education, in their kids' health, invest on their farm or other productive activities in order to generate extra income. Uh, and simply, you know, more money for food, et cetera, et cetera. So, or potentially more money that they could use to hire adult laborers Absolutely. and again, uh, have less needs to resort to their children to support on the farm. Okay. Thank you. Um, let's, let's just move uh, to, um, the, the, the issue of forced labor, slave labor. It's, you know, we talk about child labor and that's usually, as we, as we all know in, in the business, it's usually the families, um, getting their children to, to work on the farm and not send them to school because of 
because they can't afford to hire labour. Uh, forced labour, it, it's kind of coming coming up more and more now in, in conversations. And I guess, you know, it's it, it's a problem when you have Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, that, you know, have this uh, quite lucrative industry, I guess, um, you know, where people can go work, um, you know, from other areas of Africa. It, it It's a magnet, isn't it? Um, and it is something that's not really, it's not hidden, it's not, it's not, but it's not discussed. It's more the child labour side of things is is what people are focusing on. So, what, what's your what's your findings on on, on the forced labour? And what what are the, what can the ICI do to to help prevent that? If if anything, it's, it's yeah. economics, isn't it? Really? No, I mean, I think first it's very important to distinguish the two phenomena. So, you know, yeah. on one side you've got really child labour, which is happening. Uh, primarily, you know, 99% of those kids are working on the family farm. So that's typically the kind of things that is occurring at a relatively large scale, but where you can put in place those kinds of, you know, supportive systems in order to help identify and support those kids and their families. Forced labor is the complete other extreme of the spectrum. That's much smaller in terms of scale. You know, we are talking about approximately 30,000 households in between, sorry, people in between adults and children across Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. So the numbers are much smaller. And because the issue is also more on the criminal side, I would say, yeah. it's more hidden and it's more difficult to uh, tackle. Having said that, while this is much smaller, this is also more severe. So that's something since two or three years that we've started to tackle in what we do. We are developing a number of tools and material in order to better understand the issue, better identify this issue and better address this issue, whether through training and awareness raising or through, you know, specific data collection tools, as well as a number of support measures. Because, you know, even forced labor is not completely black and white. That's basically the combination of the lack of willingness, so yeah. the involuntariness nature of it, and then the penalty or threat of a penalty. But in very practical terms, if you're a worker, you come to work on my farm, we've agreed on a certain number of set of tasks, number of hours and things like this. Then if I start to ask you to do more, you know, more hours or more tasks than initially foreseen, that's an indicator of involuntariness. And then if there is also an indicator of threat, like I'm threatening you, like if you don't do the job, I'm not going to pay you what I owe you and so on. Then you've got yes. the indicator of penalty. And the combination of the two makes a case of person at risk of forced labor. So we've developed very practical elements, such as, for instance, uh, you know, templates of contracts. Because a lot of those issues, when they occur, for adults at least, adult workers, are linked to the lack of respect of contractual arrangements or the lack of understanding of what the workers are meant to do. So we've put in place a lot of, you know, community mediation so that basically workers and employers come to an agreement on the terms of the contract and formalize the terms of that agreement so that this kind of disputes or this kind of risks for the workers uh, is less present and they are protected of those forced labor risks. Uh, because, you know, yes, uh, there's some migration into cocoa growing areas. Yes, migration is a yeah. factor of risk. Yeah. Yes, we've seen that recent migrants in their first two years of employment are those that are most at risk of forced labor. 
but you have a number of protective measures that can be put in place so that there's no exploitative labor practices. Okay, thank you for that, Matthias. That, that that really clarifies some of the issues that you have and and some of the uh, the you know the, the kind of the extent of the problem in 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 West Africa, particularly. And sticking with West Africa, it is really Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire that it's the, the focus of a lot of the issues are, are on. And as you know, we got the EU due diligence legislation coming up. Um, you know, I was going to ask what the ICI doing to to help those countries, but. You, Already, what what you've explained is 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 it's almost like sufficient to um, to help Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire with their cocoa, with the transparency in in the in the supply chain. So, it, the worst case scenario, there was a scare this week about cocoa from Ghana uh, being banned in in Europe. There's been stories about cocoa from Cote d'Ivoire being banned. Uh, coming into the US and obviously nobody wants to see that um, you know that would no I mean a, that that terrible. would be really the worst case scenario and yeah. that's certainly not something we want to uh, yeah. to see because that would eventually you know punish the cocoa yeah. grain countries yeah. punish the cocoa farmers and punish their kids while what is required is to put support systems at scale so i think scaling up systems that are implemented by the industry yes. reinforcing in parallel national policies and programs and systems and making sure that the two work hand in hand yes. is going to be the right way uh, to make sure that the countries basically you know put in place the kind of traceability systems that will be required in order to meet the expectations from the legislation. I think those legislations should be seen as an opportunity more than as a threat. Yes. You know, at the end of the day, what those legislation will require is a scale-up of human rights due diligence system. And when implemented effectively, those systems can have a very positive impact on cocoa farmers and on their families. So scaling up those systems is definitely something that we support and that's also why we are supporting those legislation you know in europe obviously you need also a number of support measures to be put in place to make sure that the countries and very importantly the producers can deliver on those expectations so you know in terms of farmer organizations in terms of supporting co-ops and farmer organizations put in place those systems all of those measures also require a much more important support from consuming countries. And that's sometimes uh, a bit the missing, you know, the missing part of the equation. Cocoa producing countries are doing more and more. The industry is doing more and more. Now the EU starts to look much more seriously into it and that's very positive, but they have a role to play, be it the EU, the US or other cocoa consuming countries. Yeah. They have also their own responsibility in order to tackle those issues at scale. Yeah. And I think, again, with the work that the ICI is doing, it's, it's a fantastic kind of tool that's there for for the companies, for governments, for NGOs, for civil society to use and to tap in. And I think I would encourage the uh, the sector in general to work more with with the ICI and, you know, study them more and yeah, take... You've had I mean, great obviously, the, a lot has been done in the past 10 years, and we are yeah. very proud of what we've done. And I think yeah. we've indeed helped to generate a lot of knowledge and learning to develop a number of tools that are beneficial for the entire sector, be it the industry, civil society, or the government. Obviously, much more remains to be done. Uh, we are there to support the scale-up effort. That's important that each and every actor plays their part. You know, if we want to move from the 30% to the 100%, yes, we need all the 
companies that are currently active in that space to themselves do more in order to themselves move to 100% of their cocoa supply chain. But most of them have taken the commitment to do so. But we also need all the rest of the companies that are perhaps less involved to join also the collective effort. So I would obviously encourage any cocoa and chocolate company which is not yet a member of ICI to join. Uh, and importantly, we also need to make sure that this reaches the entire sector. So there's also an element of the equation, which is the unorganized farmers, the indirect supply chain, the local traders. And that's where for us, working with the cocoa producing countries is also key. Working with certifiers is also key. So for instance, we've supported the development of the African regional standards on sustainable cocoa, because this is also something that we see as a potential vehicle for the scale-up of those practices that have proven their positive impact. Good. Okay, Matthias, thank you. We'll, we'll end it there on, on that positive note. And uh, we look forward to, um, you know, reporting more on, on the work that the ICI does. We'll follow the, um, see how you go with, the, with the, the strategy and with your targets. It looks like you've got off to a great start with this new phase that, that has, um, that has just come in with, with you at the helm. So, um, yeah, we look forward to speaking with you more and, um, with pleasure. Thank you very okay. much indeed.